Chapter 2, we're going to take another big uh, chunk of Scripture in our text today. It took us three months to go through Chapter 1. It's going to take us three weeks to go through Chapter 2. And you might say, well, why, why is that? And the reason is because the pastor, the preacher, has the task of preaching the Word. But in order to preach the Word, he's got to study the Word. And God's admonition to the preacher was study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And so as you attempt to preach or teach the scriptures, you have to understand the context that it's in. And so sometimes there is a big idea in a phrase, and you preach that phrase. Other times it's contained in a paragraph, and to do it justice, you have to preach the entire paragraph. And, and then sometimes it's in a pericope, and that is actually a real word. Uh, it means a larger extended section of scripture. And so as we come to chapter 2, the big idea was contained in verses 1 through 10 as we uh, saw that and then now the next big idea is contained in verses 11 through 19 and so if you would follow along as I read our text this morning wherefore remember that you being in time past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands that at that time you were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself one, uh, to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. And he came and preached peace to you which were afar off and to them which were nigh. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Now, therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, it is our sincere desire to get at the heart of what you had said. We understand and believe that every word of this book is inspired, that there are no superfluous words, that there are no unnecessary words, but that you gave us exactly what you want it revealed to us. And so our task before us this morning, Lord, is to discover and to discern what it is that you're saying to us in this passage of Scripture. May we use the tools that you've given to us. May we use the references of Scripture to Scripture. And Lord, may we use the principles that guide us in understanding. Father, I pray that today that you would help me to be an accurate preacher. Uh, Lord, may I say what you have said. And I pray and ask that you would help us to understand that you did something amazing, that you changed our reality, and that you took us from being outsiders to being insiders. Lord, help us to see that and treasure that today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Ephesus was a Gentile town. 
It's located in the modern-day country of Turkey, and the church at Ephesus was predominantly a Gentile congregation. And so as you're thinking through your Bible, the gospel, ground zero, begins in Jerusalem. Jesus is crucified, buried, risen again. Day of Pentecost, Holy Spirit comes. They preach. 3,000 people get saved, and the church is all Jewish and it is predominantly in Jerusalem. And then it begins to expand outward, like, like dropping a rock in a bucket and the place of impact. And then it begins to ripple out in concentric circles. That's kind of how the gospel began to spread out. And so it began with the Jews. And here what we find is that now it has expanded all the way out into Syria and into modern-day Turkey so that there is a church in Ephesus that's made up predominantly of Gentiles. And so in chapter 2 of our text, uh, the Apostle Paul, uh, he unfolds the grand theme or the grand narrative of salvation in general. And that's what we looked at last week, that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but by His grace He has saved us through faith and that He has made us into His masterpiece, creating us in the likeness of Christ to perform the works that He has foreordained for us to do. And so He gives us the big picture of salvation and then in verses 11 through 19 he goes on to explain how Gentiles fit into that big picture of redemption to understand this we need to go back to Genesis chapter 12 where God divided the human race into two groups in Genesis chapter 12 after the debacle at the tower of Babel God chooses a man named Abraham who was of Hebrew descent and he promised to make a covenant with Abraham and to make a nation out of Abraham and at that very moment in history God divided the human race into two groups from then on out it would be Jew and it would be Gentile if you remember, Abraham had a son named Isaac. Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. Jacob had 12 sons, and those 12 sons become the 12 tribes of Israel. God grew this family into a nation. He gave them a codified law through Moses. He revealed his word to them through the prophets, and he gave them a place on the world stage as a city on a hill. God was doing something through Israel to affect the world. Remember the very beginning of the call of Abraham was, I will bless all nations through you. And so in God's master plan, when he divided the human race and he chose this group of Hebrews, the purpose was to do something global. Warren Wiersbe says God set them apart that he might use them to be a channel of his revelation and goodness to the nations. And so you and I have to think, we've got to put ourselves back into the context and think that for 2,000 years, from Abraham to Jesus, Israel was God's vehicle through which he worked in the world. And if anyone wanted to come to God, they had to come through Israel. Israel was not sent into all the world like the church is. Israel was sent into a specific piece of real estate in the Middle East. And they were positioned there for the world to see. And those who wanted to know the one true God had to come to and through Israel. Then, 
when Christ came, he came as a Jewish Messiah to the chosen people. That is why the gospel came to the Jew first and then it went to the Gentiles. In fact, when the church first began, they weren't even sure that Gentiles could get saved without first becoming Jewish proselytes. And so that's what all of that interaction and disagreement was about in Galatians and and at the Council of Jerusalem because there were many Jews that thought, well, Gentiles can't just get saved. They've got to convert to Judaism so that they can get saved because this is a Jewish Messiah coming to the Jewish people. Part of Paul's apostolic ministry was educating the church about Gentile salvation. Sometimes he explains it to a Jewish audience. And when you read Romans chapter 2 through 4, he's explaining it to a Jewish audience. He is telling them, hey, don't think that you're privileged to salvation because you're a Jew. And then he addresses in in chapter 3, well, what's the benefit of being the Jew if we all get the same way, save the same way? And he says, man, there's many benefits of being a Jew, primarily because God gave you the word of God. And then he concludes it in chapter 3 that all have sinned, Jew and Gentile, so that all have to be justified by the death of Jesus Christ. And so sometimes Paul is explaining Gentile salvation to the Jews. And other times, he's explaining Gentile salvation to the Gentiles who don't have that background in Judaism, don't understand all of the ramifications that came through what God was doing in Abraham. And that is what he is doing in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 19. He is explaining Gentile salvation to Gentiles. How do you fit into the big picture of redemption? Right? Because the Jews, if you will, had this narrow view of it that excluded Gentiles to some degree. But on the other hand, sometimes the Gentiles didn't appreciate fully what God had done because they didn't understand the narrowness that God had first established in Judaism. And so in our text today, Paul tells the beautiful story of how outsiders can become insiders and so in the time that I have this morning I'm going to approach this a little differently we're not going to have three big points we we really have two divisions first we have seven realities that make us outsiders in verses in verses 11 and 12 the apostle Paul hurriedly if you will uh, concisely succinctly pins out seven realities that make us outsiders as Gentiles. Number one, Gentiles. Remember, he says that. Wherefore, remember that you being in time past, Gentiles, boom, there we are. Let's just get to the subject. Let's not beat around the bush. Here's the very first thing that made you an outsider. You're a Gentile. Well, what does that mean? That means that you're non-Jewish in your bloodline. That means you're not part of the family of Abraham. You're not born into the family of faith. You were born outside of that. And again, as Gentiles, we don't fully appreciate that. Uh, But can I remind you, 
I would say that we as Americans don't fully appreciate the freedom that we had like they did back in 1776. Why? Because they were coming out of taxation without representation. Uh, They were coming out of where soldiers could come into their house and take their goods and uh, set up housing there. You and I have never known any of that. And so while we are uh, celebratory about being Americans, we are far removed from the tension and the intensity that was there when it was first established. The same is true for us when it comes to salvation. We've been living 2,000 years now in the church age that is now predominantly Gentile salvation. We forget the tension and the intensity that was there. Can I remind you just very quickly, when the Apostle Paul went to Jerusalem and he got arrested in the temple complex and they're taking him up into the castle and he says, can I speak a word to the Jews? And he begins to speak to them and he begins to tell them the story of God and how God has called him and saved him and worked in his life and then he says and he sent me to the Gentiles and do you know that Acts 22 22 says that they gave him audience until that word what word Gentile because he said that God sent him with a message of salvation to the Gentiles hold the phone the Jews say There's no salvation going to the Gentiles. We're the people of God. We're the ones who have made covenant with God. We're the ones who have lived by dietary laws. We're the ones that have lived by sanctimonious laws. We're the ones that have been persecuted for being different. We are God's chosen people, period. That's the way it's been for 2,000 years. And now all of a sudden the program is changing. And so Paul says, let me tell you something. You're an outsider. You're an outsider because you're a Gentile. But then he goes on and he says we're outsiders because of uncircumcision. Circumcision was the token of the covenant between God and Abraham. And God gave that instruction that every male Jew would be circumcised at eight eight days old. As you think about the significance of circumcision, it wasn't so much what it did for them physically as what it represented spiritually. It was the fact that they were born into a family that was in covenant with God and they said, we're bringing our newborn into this covenant and we're going to raise this child to know God and we're going to raise this child to live by the commandments of God. We're going to raise this child for God. That's the big significance there. And he says, you didn't have that. You weren't born into a family that knew God because you were born outside of the family of Abraham. You were born into a Gentile family. They didn't bring you into this world from an infant making you consciously aware that there's one true God, creator of heaven and earth, a giver and sustainer of life. It puts you on the outside. The third reality is that you were without Christ Now, while this has a broader application in the context, it appears to be making reference to Christ as the Jewish Messiah. Think about it. In the Old Testament, the predominant prophetic focus was on a Savior for the Jews. It begins in Genesis chapter 3 with the promise of the seed of the woman who would bruise the head of the serpent. It shows up again and again and again throughout the Old Testament. There's a Savior coming. There's a Redeemer that's coming. Yes, you are oppressed. Yes, you are enslaved. Yes, you are experiencing hardships. But let me tell you, there is a Messiah who is is coming who will liberate you who will save you who will set you free who will deliver you the Jews had that in fact that term Christ is not his last name it means the anointed one and it was the reference to the Jewish Messiah 
In, in fact, think about how Jewish this is. Now again, because we are well into the church age, we understand that the gospel goes to the Jew and to the Gentile and that it went to the Jew first and the Jews rejected it. Now it goes predominantly to the Gentiles. We tend to forget that in Matthew chapter 10, when Jesus sent his disciples out the very first time, he told them not to go to the Gentiles, but only to the lost sheep of Israel. He said that in Matthew chapter 10. Don't go to the Gentiles, only to the lost sheep of Israel. Why? Because he's the Jewish Messiah. He came to the Jews. In fact, when he was approached directly, by a Gentile woman in Matthew chapter 15 who was asking him to heal her daughter. Do you know what his response was? I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Why was Jesus so harsh to that woman? You have to understand the big theological impact. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is coming to the Jew first. And so to be without Christ was to be without the hope of a Savior. This just goes to show you that Christ was seen as the long-awaited Savior of the Jews, and historically, the Gentiles had no hope of a Savior. They weren't sitting around waiting for the one who would deliver them. That's oftentimes why they are waging war and building their own empires, because if they're going to do it, they've got to do it themselves. The fourth reality is that they are aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. Well, how many times can Paul say the same thing? Well, he's saying a little something different. Not only were they Gentiles outside the family of Abraham, they, they were not circumcised, so they hadn't been brought up in that. They were without Christ, without the promise of Messiah. But they're aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. That means they're not entitled to the benefits of citizenship in Israel. God made commitments to the nation of Israel that he did not make to any other nation. That is why you still hear churches today like ours that say, hey, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Hey, uh, support Israel because we know that God made some promises to those people that have not yet been fulfilled and that he is going to keep those promises to those people. He made promises to Israel that he did not make to anybody else. The greatest of which he made was salvation. Remember what Jesus said to the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4? He said, you worship, you know not what, but we know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. And so one of the greatest promises that God made to the commonwealth of Israel was that I will save you. Hey, by the way, that's still in effect. Did you know that? Read Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11. When you get into the book of Revelation and, and the tribulation is starting to happen, you don't see Gentiles getting saved. You know who you see getting saved? Jews. The Bible says all Israel will be saved in that day. And so God has made a promise of salvation that they had. We as Gentiles did not have that promise of salvation in the same sense. The fifth reality is that they are strangers from the covenant of promise. A covenant is an unbreakable commitment. God made a covenant promise, and he made a covenant promise to Abraham. I will choose you. I will be your God. You will be my people. I will bless them that bless you, and I will curse them that curse you. And then he makes a covenant. He renews it with Moses, and he codifies the law. And he, he makes a covenant with the people of Israel that they'll keep the law and that he will keep them. And then he renews the covenant with David, and he says, I will send a savior, a king, a conqueror through your seed. 
they had a covenant, an unbreakable commitment from God. God didn't make that with any Gentile nation in history, only the Jews. Six, having no hope. Having no hope. Truly, the Gentiles had no real hope. Not like the Jews had, because all of their religions, think about this, all of the Gentile religions, false. Every one of them. Boy, that's a big blanket to throw everybody, over everybody. I didn't throw the blanket over them. God did. Jesus said salvation is of the Jews. So any religion outside of Judaism was a false religion. And so they truly have no hope. All of their religions are false. All of their religions are man-made. All of their religions, get this, are demonically inspired. Well, that's a whole other level. You don't went Baptist on us, preacher. Who else made the counterfeit religions? Who else inspired those? Who else does it benefit to trick mankind into believing in the false gods? I'm telling you, they're demonically inspired. It is the work of Satan. And he has done a massive work in this world. And then the seventh reality that he says that makes us outsiders is that we're without God in the world. Here's the biggest difference between Jew and Gentile. The Jews had God. The Jews had God. The Gentiles did not. By an act of God's grace, he had chosen to draw near to the Jews. By an act of God's grace, he had chosen to dwell with them. Right now, tonight, we'll start a study on the tabernacle. What is that? That's God's dwelling place among his people. God chose to reveal himself to the Jews by his grace. They have the knowledge of God. God is the one who revealed himself and gave revelation to the prophets of Israel. It's where we got our Old Testament scripture, those 39 books of the Old Testament. They all came through Jews. Gentiles did not have God in the world. These are the realities. They're real. And they describe the reality of all Gentiles, anybody who is non-Jewish born. Hey, but thank God there are seven other realities of Christ. There are seven other realities of Christ that can change our reality. And those are contained for us in verses 13 through 19. The first one, we're made near by the blood of Christ. Oh, hallelujah. Let me tell you something. The blood of Christ is the most efficacious uh, instrument in all of the world. It changed our eternal destiny. It paid for our sin. It covered our sin debt. It buys us an entrance into the presence of God. But you know what else it did? It changed the bloodline. There's a new bloodline for Jew and Gentile. Now, through the blood of Christ, it doesn't matter if you're Jew-born or Gentile-born, you can be covered by the blood of Christ. You can become part of the lineage of Christ. The second reality is the removal of the dividing wall. It says that he has broken down the middle wall of partition what middle wall is he talking about between us and God no between Jew and Gentile the partition that God made in Genesis 12 he tore down in Jesus Christ 
Jesus demolished what once separated Jew and Gentile. God instituted the division and God deactivated the division. God instituted it for a purpose for 2,000 years. He needed it for his vehicle to work through the Jews, to lay the baseline of the law, to help us understand how far removed we were from God. But when in the fullness of time came, Jesus died. And when he died, he destroyed that division that was between us so that there is no longer that distinction. The third reality in Christ is that he abolished the enmity caused by the law. Jesus nullified the law by fulfilling all of its requirements. You know what the great separator was between Jew and Gentile? It was the law. They kept the law. We didn't keep the law. They observed the Sabbath. We didn't observe the Sabbath. They observed dietary laws. We didn't observe dietary laws. They observed holy days. We didn't observe holy days. And because of that, the Jews declared, or God declared us, to be unclean. And the Bible says Jesus abolished the enmity, the hatred, the animosity that was there because of the law. How did he do that? Well, Romans chapter 10 verse 4 says that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes. He fulfilled it. And in him, we can have the law fulfilled. The fourth reality was that he reconciled us vertically and horizontally. It says uh, there in verse 15 that he abolished in his flesh the enmity, the law of commandments contained in ordinances to make in himself of two one new man. Reconciled means to bring together again. And so Jesus brings Jews and Gentiles together with God. Where we used to be two groups, this is interesting, and I wish I had time to flesh this out, but we've got to hurry on. There were two groups through all the Old Testament. From Genesis 12 on, there was Jew and there was Gentile. When you get into the New Testament after Jesus, there's a third group. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 32. Give no offense to the Jew, to the Gentile, or to the church of God. Oh, all of a sudden there's a new group of people. It's not distinguished by Jew or Gentile. In Christ we are the same. As a matter of fact, in Galatians 3.28, says there's no longer Jew or Gentile. There's no longer bond or free. There's no longer barbarian or Scythian. We are all one in Christ. It says it again in Colossians chapter 3, verse 11. It is the idea that those old things that used to distinguish us and separate us no longer are. In Christ we are reconciled to one another and we are reconciled to God. Fifth reality is the same way of salvation for those who are far and near. It says he came and he preached peace to those who were far off and to those who were near. Get this, the gospel is the same for Jew and Gentile. There's not a gospel for the Jew and a gospel for the Gentile. There is one gospel. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Jesus died on the cross for uh, pay for our sins. He was buried and rose again the third day. And if we believe in him and confess him, we shall be saved. For whosoever... Jew or Gentile, calls on the name of the Lord. They shall be saved. Romans 1.16, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it, the gospel, is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It's the same gospel. Jesus created that reality. Sixth, full access to God through the Holy Spirit. 
It says we all have access through one spirit. Do you know previously Gentiles, even converts to Judaism, didn't have the same access? If you study the Jewish temple, there were all of these divisions. So the temple itself had two rooms. First was the holy place, and the second was the holy of holy place. There was a division there. The priest could go into the holy place, but only the high priest could go into the holy of holies. Outside of the temple, they had the court, and then they had the court of women, and then they had the court of the Gentiles. And the Gentiles were not allowed to go beyond that court. They could be executed for that. Even the Gentile proselytes who had came through proselyte baptism, who had received the sign of circumcision, they were not allowed to go past the court of the Gentiles. But in Jesus, we have the same access. Hey, look, we're not even restricted. We're not restricted from entering the court of the Jews. We're not restricted from entering the holy place. We're not even restricted from entering into the holy of holies because we have a new high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shed his blood, ripped the temple veil in two, making the way open for you and I to have complete access to God. And so the Jews don't have greater access to God than the Gentiles. We have the same access in Christ. That's a reality that was brought about through Christ. And seventh verse 19 now we are insiders through Christ no longer strangers now he says verse 19 now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners but you are fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God we are part of the family of God Jesus created that reality and so I say this to you The ultimate reality is you're either outside of Christ or you are in Christ. And so I'm asking you today, where do you stand? Do you stand on the outside or on the inside? Because let me tell you something. At the end of the day, that's all that matters. On your graduation day or on your death day, are you in Christ or are you out of Christ? Let me tell you something, graduates. You can go on to live the most successful life that anybody has ever lived. You can eclipse anybody in history. And Jesus says, what does it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? If you are outside of Christ, it doesn't matter what you accomplish in this life. You go to an eternity of hell. And the great news is that because of Jesus... We who were born outsiders can be born again as insiders. Would you bow with me? As our heads are bowed for just a moment, I want to just take the moment to ask you today.